0: have longed for sweet peace, and for faith to increase, and have earnestly, fervently prayed, but you cannot have rest, or be perfectly blessed, until all on the altar is laid. Would you walk with the Lord in the light of his word and have peace and contentment always? You must do his sweet will to be free from all ill. On the altar, your all you must live. Your are all on the altar of sacrifice laid. Your heart does the spirit control. You can only be blessed and have peace and sweet rest as you yield. Who can tell the love he will send from above, and how happy our hearts will be made of the fellowship sweet we shall share at his feet. Your heart does the spirit control. You can only be blessed and have peace and sweet rest as you yield him your body and soul. As you yield...
1: Amen. Let's take our Bibles tonight, turn over to the book of Ephesians again. Ephesians chapter 5. Ephesians chapter 5. We're going to go ahead and begin reading in verse 1. And uh, again, we've been dealing with and covering this idea of the need to live by principle. And uh, we've been addressing this issue of, uh, of an integrity crisis and how to overcome it. And so let's go ahead and Uh, read the verses, we'll kind of get back into things, and then we'll move on with some new material here along the way. So the Bible says in the book of Ephesians chapter 5, beginning in verse 1, it says, but be therefore followers of God as dear children. Walk in love as Christ also hath loved us, and hath given himself for us an offering and a sacrifice to God for a sweet-smelling savor. Fornication and all uncleanness or covetousness, let it not be once named among you as become of saints, neither filthiness nor foolish talking nor jesting, which are not convenient, but rather giving of thanks. As we read this passage, obviously, we realize that, that there's a special relationship that, has been, uh, that, that the believer's been brought into with the Lord. Again, we, uh, it says, Be ye therefore followers as dear children. And uh, we are the children of God, and therefore we have a very special relationship with God, very unique and very unusual. And he reminds us of that offering, that sacrifice that Christ has made on our behalf. And as a result of that, we're to follow the Lord, we're to forsake uh, sin, and uh, we are to live for God. And there are some things that should never be named among us, the Bible says. It makes it pretty clear. And why is that? Well, because he offered himself as our sacrifice to God, and now we are his children. So Paul emphasizes this relationship. And yet we said and noted that there's been an erosion of character, an erosion of integrity that seems to be permeating and impacting the church these days. And again, it's impacting our culture, but it's making its way into the house of God, and that, of course, is a problem. So there are a number of voices proclaiming another truth today. And integrity as a result must be a mission now we need to work at it we need to strive toward it we need to be proactive in our pursuit and remain steadfast in our resolve and we need to maintain our integrity at all costs so the teaching of scripture we said was clear principle is important ethics are urgent and integrity is essential and so then we began by sharing some suggestions of uh, for making integrity important and to make it a part of our life, an important part of our daily life. We said, number one, put Jesus first. Number two, give attention to the, God, the Bible. And number three, follow leaders who follow the Lord. And so we said that these particular practices would help us develop character and integrity that would provide a foundation needed to live our lives by principle. And so tonight we continue with number four. Tonight we, we, we answer that question again You know, what things can we, what suggestions can we have to strengthen our integrity to ensure that integrity is a major part of our life and that it's well in place? Well, tonight, the number four is going to be stop trying to impress everybody. Stop trying to impress everybody. And so let's go ahead and have a word of prayer. Father, we need you. We ask for your leadership. And I just pray that you would help me, fill me with your Holy Spirit, allow me to be your mouthpiece Father, I thank you that you've given me the privilege to stand behind a pulpit and proclaim your truth, and I ask that I would do it in a favorable manner, that it would please you. I ask that you'd be with every listening ear, and may our hearts be stirred and encouraged, and Lord, may we truly recognize how significant and important this issue is. We love you now. We'll thank you for what you will do. In Christ's name, amen. So, as we start talking about this element of of assuring up that integrity, providing that foundation for living by principle, we said, put Jesus first, give attention to the Bible, follow leaders who follow the Lord, and tonight, stop trying to impress everybody. When we find ourselves so concerned with the opinions of others, we become more prone to compromise and even change. When we, you know, we can be very tempted to dismiss our biblical beliefs and we can flirt with the world's philosophies in order to fit in and to be accepted. So our integrity can be compromised when we're concerned about impressing others. And so when it's all said and done, we just need to simply do right. And that's what integrity is about, doing right, just simply doing right. And so how do we do that? Well, let me just give you a couple thoughts. First of all, walk with God like Enoch. Walk with God like Enoch. Turn over there in Genesis chapter 5, would you? Just very quickly, Genesis chapter 5, we'll read just one verse uh, for, for that particular passage. Genesis chapter 5. We read about Enoch, and of course Enoch is a very unique and very special character in the Word of God. We know that uh, uh, Enoch ultimately represents the church. I know we'll be, uh, he was taken out before the flood. We'll be taken out before the rapture. And We see a number of uh, parallels there. But uh, Genesis chapter 5, verse 24 Notice what it says about Enoch. You probably know it, and you'll almost uh, be able to quote it probably, but it says, And Enoch walked with God, and he was not. Why? For God took him. So Enoch walked with God, and he was not, for God took him. The Bible says simply that Enoch walked with God. Now, you know, it wasn't just just this past week. We talked about John chapter 6, and we read about Christ sharing a powerful picture of himself as being uh, being the bread of life. And those that followed, they struggled to embrace this concept, this teaching, and they misunderstood the teaching completely. Jesus is saying, I'm the bread of life. And next thing you know, they're, they're mistaking it to mean all kind of crazy doctrines and unusual things. And yet, when we close the chapter, we learn that because of those, that doctrine that he was teaching and because what they considered hard sayings to be given, the Bible tells us that these followers walked no more with him they walked no more with him John 6:66 6, says from that time many of his disciples went back and walked no more with him Now that's an amazing picture that we're giving here They walked no more with him Amos chapter 3 verse 3 says can two walk together except they be agreed Now there were two men they were trying to get a piece of furniture through a doorway after a lot of frustration and a ton of energy, the men stopped for a moment. They stood up, they looked at each other with a puzzled look on their face, and they finally determined that the problem was they were pulling in opposite directions. You know, why can't we get this piece of furniture through the door? Well, one was pushing, the other was, was the one was pushing, and the other one was pushing. Well, it's not going anywhere. Now, the fact is, is that Enoch walked with God. I just want you to understand that Jesus is doing the talking. He's outlining the game plan. It's his truth that must be embraced and accepted. These disciples, these followers... The Bible says they no longer walked with him. Why? Because they were offended at his word, and therefore they did not believe. And too often we have our own truth, and we believe that Jesus is walking with us. We have our own reality, we have our own position, and we say, well, obviously God is walking with me. But the Bible is extremely clear here. It is his truth that matters, and we must embrace his truth and walk with him. You're either walking with Him or you are walking alone. So we're given another look uh, at these who were misguided into believing that God was with them when in reality He wasn't. Look at Matthew chapter 7. We see it again. So we note that Enoch walked with God. We notice though in chapter John, John chapter 6 verse 66 there were those disciples that were following Jesus but all of a sudden they walked no more with him. And we recognize that we're either walking with him or we're walking alone. So notice what it says in Matthew 7:21 because we see this principle expressed again. I mean, that's exactly what we're seeing again. We're watching a group of people that are religious and they're going about the motions and they somehow have come up with their own plan and their own direction and they believe that God is with them. But it doesn't matter how much we believe God is with us. If we're not with God, then we're alone. And I'm not talking about, and I know some pious person in the crowd will say something like, Well, I know God lives in me, so he'll never leave me nor forsake me. But friend, if you aren't walking with God, you are walking alone. This idea that God lives in you, therefore everything's fine. I'm telling you, it won't do you a lick of good, God being in you, as long as you keep bearing him. He does you no good unless you let him do you good. This idea that somehow we can choose our own path and our own direction and everything will be fine and that God is with us because obviously we believe this is what God would have us do and we've never really gotten the green light from God. Friend, you are walking alone. Be careful because we see this. How can two walk together except they be agreed? It is His word and it's His plan, it's His purpose that's to be fulfilled, not yours. Don't be on the other side of the couch pushing. When God's trying to push you another direction, don't push back. Go with God. The question isn't, is God walking with me? But rather, am I walking with God? Jesus would turn to his disciples long after the other ones had faded and gone by the wayside. And he would ask them, will ye also go away? And in John chapter 6, verse 68, Simon Peter answered him, Lord, to whom shall we go? Thou hast the words of eternal life. And we believe and are sure that thou art the Christ, the Son of the living God. I mean, who else are we going to go to? Who else are we going to follow but you? Did you know that the average pair of feet takes 7,000 to 8,000 steps a day? About two and a half million steps a year. It makes you tired, I mean, just to even think about that, right? I mean, that means that in a lifetime, you will walk approximately 115,000 miles. That's crazy, isn't it? That's a lot of steps. Let's make sure that that we're not walking alone, but with God. I love the poem, Footprints, and it goes, One night I dreamed a dream, and as I was walking along the beach with my Lord, across the sky... Flash scenes from my life. For each scene, I noticed two sets of footprints in the sand. One belonging to me, and one to my Lord. After the last scene of my life flashed before me, I looked back at the footprints in the sand. I noticed that at many times along the path of my life, especially at the very lowest and saddest times, there was only one set of footprints. This really troubled me, so I asked the Lord about it. Lord, you said once I decided to follow you, you'd walk with me all the way. Now, we can see that the author did not understand this. But nonetheless, the outcome is right here. We'll give him a little kudos. But I noticed that during the saddest and most troublesome times of my life, there was only one set of footprints. I don't understand why. I don't understand that why when I needed you most, you'd leave me. He whispered, my precious child, I love you and I will never leave you. Never, ever, during your trials and testings, when you saw only one set of footprints, it was then that I carried you. Can I say that the only time we shouldn't be walking with God is when he's carrying us? And there'll be times in our lives when he'll have to carry us because we won't have the strength to walk on our own. And the truth is, is that really in reality, wouldn't it be a wonderful thing if we got to the place where we never walked alone, we always let him carry us. The Bible says about Enoch, for God took him. See, to walk with God provides us with the greatest opportunity to experience heaven while on earth. Enoch finds himself in a place where he's walking with God, and next thing you know, he's walking on the streets of gold, so to speak, in heaven. And we know those streets of gold won't be till the New Jerusalem, but nonetheless, for the sake of pastoral license and literary license and to make for a good sermon, he was walking right onto those streets. So stop trying to impress everybody. Don't worry about that. Simply do what's right. Just walk with God like Enoch Number two, if we're going to not if we're gonna if we're not going to um, try and impress everybody, not only do we need to walk with God like Enoch, but we need to die to self like Paul. In 1 Corinthians fifteen thirty one. Go ahead and turn over there. Notice what the apostle Paul says, very important passage, and certainly has ramifications for each and every one of us in our Christian walk in life today. 1 Corinthians 15, 31. Notice he says, I protest by your rejoicing, which I love, which I have in Christ Jesus our Lord. I die daily. I die daily. Now, it's important that we understand and know what the Apostle Paul endured a long life's journey. Turn to 2 Corinthians chapter 11, would you? Chapter 11, verse 24. And what did he endure? What did he have to put up with? Well, we could take a long time to follow the life of the Apostle Paul through the Scriptures, even the book of Acts alone, and we would find so many unbelievable things that the Apostle Paul endured and ended up uh, facing in his Christian life. Notice this as we see a rather pretty quick summary of it all. He says here in 2 Corinthians chapter 11, verse 24. He says, Of the Jews, five times received I forty stripes, save one. So he says, five times I was, I, was, I was whipped, thirty-nine stripes. Verse 25. Thrice I was beaten with rods. Once I was stoned. Thrice, or three times I suffered shipwreck. A night and a day I have been in the deep. In journeyings often, in perils of water, in perils of robbers, in perils of mine own countrymen, in perils by the heathen, in perils in the city, in perils in the wilderness, in perils in the sea, and in perils among false brethren, in weariness and painfulness, in watchings often, in hunger and thirst, in fastings often, in cold and nakedness, besides those things that are without, That which cometh upon me daily, the care of all the churches. that's what the Apostle Paul's dealing with. That's what he's facing. And still, despite it all, he could rise above it all and proclaim in Philippians chapter 4, verse 11, not that I speak in respect of one, for I have learned in whatsoever state I am therewith to be content. I mean, I don't know about you, but I'm trying to figure out, oh, how in the world are you doing that? I mean, you're enduring all of these things. You're going through all this heartache and difficulty. You're supposed to be the man of God. You're serving the Lord Jesus Christ. You're giving your very best. You've completely sold out to the Lord. And here you are now, enduring all of this. How's that happening? How are you coming to a place where you can say, whatsoever state, I've learned, that whatsoever state I am, there would be content. I believe the secret to his endurance and faithfulness in the Christian life was obviously Christ in him, the hope of glory, but also... The fact that he died to self daily. A pirate was returning home from a long journey. He had spent many years lying and stealing and cheating in a faraway land, and he stored up this great chest of treasure for himself. He held real tight to that chest because he saw in it something more than just the value of the jewels and gold. Rather, he saw that in the chest was the fulfillment of all his dreams, his hopes, and his aspirations. He knew that the treasure was his key to the good life. It was time, he thought, to retire. He had already amassed his wealth. He had done what he wanted to do, and now this chest of treasure represented every good thing that life had to offer, and he was ready to live it finally. The pirate... Decided, it's time to go. So he boards the ship and he begins to travel a great distance. It wasn't far from the the, the shore, I should say. Not a very long distance that a storm just picked up and arose. And it didn't take long before the storm had literally overtaken the ship. And soon the ship began to break into pieces. And of course, eh, the pirate and his treasure, they plunge into the cold sea. Shiver me timbers. Matey. There he goes, sinking into the cold sea. He begins to sink, but what does he hold on to for dear life? He desperately holds on to that chest. As the pirate was sinking, all that raced through his mind was how can I get my treasure to the surface? Slowly, the pirate began to realize that life was not in the chest but on the surface, that holding on to the chest would cause him to die. Reluctantly, but nonetheless, the pirate lets go of that chest and begins to swim upward toward the surface. Now the fact is is that you and I are a lot like the pirate, aren't we? We're holding on to our agendas. We're holding on to our egos. We hold on to our fleshly desires thinking that all the while they're going to bring us life. They're going to bring us happiness. But in reality, they are pulling us down toward death. James chapter 1, verse 15 says, Then when lust hath conceived, it bringeth forth sin, and sin when it is finished bringeth forth death. The apostle knew that he's going to have to die one way or the other. Now, Listen to what I'm saying. He knew he was going to have to die one way or the other, either to to self or because of sin. He chose death on his terms. He said, I die daily. I choose death towards self and selfishness instead, and instead, I choose, excuse me, I choose death towards self and selfishness. Excuse me, I am messing that up. I'm reading it and I'm messing it up. He said, I don't, wait a second, he didn't say nothing. (laughs) I wrote this down wrong because I'm, I'm writing it myself and I made a mistake here. But nonetheless, let me just get my thought back. So we can either die to self or we can die because of sin. He chose to die on his terms. He said, "I die daily." Therefore, instead of choosing to die because of sin, he makes a conscious choice to choose life in Christ and die towards self and selfishness. (laughs) Turn to Matthew sixteen, would you? Because that's exactly what the Bible teaches us. Again, Jesus, on his time during his time on earth, said these things to his disciples in Matthew sixteen. Look at verse 24. Matthew chapter 16, verse 24. It said, then said Jesus unto his disciples, If any man will come after me, let him deny himself and take up his cross and follow me. For whosoever will save his life shall lose it, and whosoever will lose his life for my sake shall find it. For what is a man profited if he shall gain the whole world and lose his own soul? What shall a man give in exchange for his soul? You know, we like to focus on that. And, of course, we like to, you know, talking about souls, so it's got to be salvation. But really, we're talking about discipleship here. And he's saying, listen, you've got to come after me. If you're going to come after me, you're going to have to die yourself because you can't hold on to your dreams and your goals and your aspirations and follow me. And yet what we've learned here already tonight, just through this simple uh, portion here, we learned that we have to die to self like Paul. And if we're going to walk with God, then we're going to have to give up some things of our own. We can't go our own direction and do our own thing and think somehow that God is with us. We are either with God or we are alone. Die to self. Die to self. So stop trying to impress everybody. Simply do what's right. Just walk with God. Impress God. That's what we need to do. Make it a point to impress Him. And simply do what's right. Just walk with God like Enoch. Die to self like Paul. And finally, very quickly, let me just share the last one. Keep serving God like Noah. We know that in Genesis chapter 6, the Bible says, And the Lord said, My spirit shall not always strive with man, for that he also is flesh, yet his days shall be 120 years. We know that God saw, verse 5 through 8, the wickedness of man that was great in the earth, and that every imagination of the thoughts of his heart was only evil continually. It repented the Lord, the Bible says, that he made man on the earth, and it grieved him at his heart. And the Lord said, I will destroy man whom I have created from the face of the earth, both man and beast and the creeping thing and the fowl of the air, for it repenteth me that I have made them. But Noah found grace in the eyes of the Lord. Can I say that you and I really don't have to measure up to anybody's superficial yardstick in order to be valuable or worthwhile? We simply need to measure up to God's standard, to God's yardstick, if you will. Listen be all you can be in God's eyes and by his power. Don't stretch the truth to impress your friends, your family or others you admire. Make up your mind to impress God. Consider a telling passage in the book of Matthew. Matthew chapter 1 verse, excuse me, 11 verse 11 says this, verily I say unto you, among them that are born of women there hath not risen a greater than John the Baptist. Notwithstanding, he that is least in the kingdom of heaven is greater than he. Let's be reminded a little bit about John the Baptist. Let's be honest. John the Baptist wasn't the most well-liked man around town. Nor did he get invited to speak at the local pastors, convention, or association meeting. He really didn't garner the affections of the politically correct. Nor did he enjoy the support of the national media and he certainly didn't receive a stamp of approval from the culture and society in which he served no quite the contrary right i mean the principles i mean his principles would land him in jail and cost him his head on a platter still principle reigned supreme and he would not be moved and although most of his peers and contemporaries didn't approve or appreciate john the baptist May I say that obviously, Jesus did. I don't know about you, but that's a big wow to me. The German car company, Volkswagen, they introduced their Type 1 car in 1938. The Type 1 became affectionately known, of course, as the VW Beetle or the VW Bug because of its iconic shape. And that iconic shape never changed, or if it did, very little through literally decades. While other car companies continued to revise the exterior of their cars, the Beetle's upgrades were really primarily internal. The never-changing shape of the Beetle became its marketing charm. People just thought it was uniquely different. See, there was something to be said about staying the same while everything around you changes. And that's what God wanted for His people. He created a unique and distinct people. He just created a nation that was to walk according to His never-changing statutes. And even as that was true with Israel, and that's what He intended, can I say that that's true concerning the local church and God's people today? According to 1 Peter 2, 9, the Bible says, But ye are a chosen generation, a royal priesthood, a holy nation, a peculiar people, that ye should shew forth the praises of him who hath called you out of darkness into his marvelous light. We, you and I, are to be uniquely different from our counterpart, the world. God would have us live by faith and exhibit his holiness and righteousness daily. According to Matthew 5:16, let your light so shine before men that they may see your good works and glorify your father which is in heaven. Now Noah certainly felt a lot of pressure to conform to the world, I'm sure. But he chose to keep serving God. And despite the temptations that must have abounded in such an evil day in which he lived, And amidst the constant attack from Satan and those bound by unbelief, Noah remained faithful and served God despite it all. Let me ask you, does your life change with the ebb and flow of the world's standards? Is right and wrong determined by how others view right and wrong? Or is it solely and completely dependent upon how God sees it? Whose approval do you desire most? It ought to be Jesus. It ought to be Christ. So, when we find ourselves so concerned with the opinions of others, we can become more prone to compromise and even change. We can be tempted to dismiss our political, our biblical beliefs. We flirt with the world's philosophies and even embrace their standards in order to fit in and be accepted. Our integrity cannot be compromised. We need to maintain our integrity at all costs. So stop trying to impress everybody. Simply do what's right. Just walk with God like Enoch. Die to self like Paul and keep serving God like Noah. And you'll have integrity, which will provide you a tremendous platform and foundation to live by principle. Father, we come to you. Thank you again for this time together that we've had, and Lord, we just ask, dear God, that you'd help us. Lord, we need to truly be most concerned about you and what you approve of. We want to seek your approval first. So Father, help us to truly choose you. Father, we need you. And Tonight, we just pray for your leadership in our lives, our homes, our families, And Lord, help us, Father, to be men and women, boys and girls of integrity, and enable us to live by principle that we might bring glory and honor to you. We love you, we thank you. In Christ's name we pray. Amen. Let's all stand, every head bowed.